0: About eight or nine months ago, um, I met with Pastor Seth, and uh, he had he and Ty had been called to plant a church, and felt like they were called to plant a church in New Lenox. What an exciting time! And uh, Seth and Ty were working hard at it, and 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 he came to me once, and he said, "What would you think about me coming on staff just for a little bit and learning from you and learning from this church and." And I, I could work for nearly next to nothing, which he did, and we're so thankful for that. Um, and and we knew that he wouldn't be here a long time. We knew that we had a short time with him, and we're grateful for the time we had with him, but Seth has a wonderful opportunity to start a residency in Pekin, Illinois, with a wonderful church, uh, a big church uh, called Bridgeway, uh, Bridgeway Church in Pekin, Illinois, and they are going to coach him. They're going to teach him. Uh, they're actually, believe it or not, going to fund him in many ways, uh, which is helpful to he and Ty. And they feel called to plant a church. And, and, and we recognize that one of our values here is to send people out. Like, we aren't here to hoard people. We aren't here to keep people. If somebody feels called to ministry and they feel like they need to do it outside the walls of our church, we are going to send you with our blessing. And so we're celebrating with them. It is painful for me to say that. Um, I'm I'm celebrating um, for the opportunity that they have. But Seth and Ty have been very good friends of of Janelle and mine over the last seven months. And we've grown very close. And we've had a a good experience where we've been able to share honestly about life and ministry. and, And he's learned a lot. Thank you for teaching him and teaching me as well but he'll be, his last Sunday will be next week. Uh, he and Ty's last Sunday will be next week, um, and he's going to preach the next two weeks for us. So he's going to bring the heat today. Uh, next week we'll have a basket out in the back. If you would uh, if you would love to leave a card, um, whatever it is, your way of showing appreciation, there'll be a basket out there. And we want to celebrate them leaving as they go and do great things. And Seth, come on up this morning and share God's word.
1: Well, we, uh, we're we so thankful for the support that we've gotten here, and um, when you say yes to being sent, you end up moving. Um, you, you move locally. Thanks, Brad. Um, you move locally. You move regionally, um, but what I have learned in early on in my life is if you say yes to things, then don't get used to anything. Um, so I would leave that with you. Um, We we thank you for your support. I would love to answer any questions that anyone would have um, about us moving on to this new thing. Um, Pardon the awkwardness of this moment, getting this chair. Um, But I do not want um, this news to get away from what God wants to say this morning. Um, So if you would turn with me to Acts chapter 1. It is the book of the Bible that comes right after our four gospel accounts. We're going to be reading the first 11 verses of this book, and as you turn there, um, the author of this book is the same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke. That is the wide consensus amongst scholars, and so um, this is kind of the Gospel of Luke part two, um, to think of it in those terms, and we're going to actually read Luke's account on the ascension of Jesus Christ, and we'll talk about the importance of that in just a few moments. It's also on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with you, but if you would stand with me as we read Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. It says, in my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Then Jesus said, it's not for you to know. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before them, their very eyes a cloud hid him from their sight this is the best part they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going and suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them and they said why do you stand here looking into the sky the same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you have seen him go into heaven this is the word of our God praise be to God you can grab a seat from these 11 verses, I'd like to extract three words and talk about how they might be able to give us some new importance um, for our lives. First one is the word kingdom found in verse 3. We learn that 40 the 40-day period after Jesus rose from the grave, he was appearing to different people, and it's in this moment in Jesus's life and in history where there is no time where people are believing in him more. Does this make sense? So, so through Jesus' life, before he was crucified, people began to believe in him through healings and miracles and his words and, and his presence among them. And then he died. And, and we learn that while he's hanging on the cross, um, Roman guards are believing in him after watching him die, uh, which is a beautiful moment when even Sanhedrin come to faith, by watching how he dies. And and then he... Defeats death, he ascends to the dead, and, and then he leaves the grave. And in this moment, he convinces people like Thomas, right? Those who, who didn't believe it. And then for 40 days, he's walking around with these nail markings. And if there was any moment in Jesus's life where people were believing in him, the most people were believing in him, it was this exact moment in time. So you could imagine that after all of this, Jesus really has your attention. <laughs> and he could talk about anything he wanted could have talked about how cool defeating death was. Um, he could have talked about missions or church planting or compassionate ministries or prayer or the, the prophets that we now read about in the Old Testament. But he talked about one thing. He talked about the kingdom of God. This is why the Gospel of Luke has so many phrases that Jesus is quoted saying the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like Some of the most profound words that Jesus uses when he talks about the kingdom of God are are found in Luke chapter 17, Um, for those who might go back to this passage throughout the rest of this week. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. What he means by that is, is he's saying it's not something that we can say, well, if we just do this, then the kingdom of God will show up. And, and we can't just go out to a certain geographic region and hang out with a certain group of people and say, there it is. It's here, but it's not there. Jesus says, you can't find it there. You just must understand that the kingdom of God is in your midst, is the language that Jesus uses. So the kingdom of God is not necessarily here, is not necessarily there, and you can't just point to it and say there it is, but that it is in your midst. And so Jesus reinforces this abstract thought by saying that the kingdom of God is like. He doesn't say what it is because is would be too specific, is would be too subjective, but he says it is like. And Jesus represents what the kingdom is in both his words and his deeds, his life lived. When he talks in parables, he talks about how the kingdom of God is representative to mustard seeds and, and representative to farmers and harvesting and planting and, and taking care of weeds and things like that. He talks about yeast and bread and the different ways that a kingdom priority can be received or shown. He also, in his life, in his deeds, talks uh, he shows justice. He shows peace. He shows mercy. He shows, with the deeds of his life, what it means for humans to flourish as one coexisting peaceful unit. So in both his words and his life, he is reinforcing kingdom language by saying what it is like. Now, if we were going to try and define it, it would be hard We can define only what it is like, and and a guy named Jeff Christofferson says it like this. The kingdom of God is what the world looks like when King Jesus gets his way, is how Jeff says it. So it's not so much the kingdom of God is like when two or more are gathered, or the the kingdom of God is, is not necessarily like when a bunch of hungry people are eating this miracle bread, But it's just when the priorities of God are being shown and fulfilled. When what Jesus would want becomes a reality. And we talk about that. We talked about that for weeks during our Believe series. We've talked about that in many other times when we have taught what Christ might be looking not only for us, but for this world. We talk about being restored and people investing and seeking. And a lot of times we use the language thin spaces, which is abstract, and, and I understand it could be up here. But, but what, what we mean when we say thin spaces is that the kingdom of God is so beautiful and is so universal. That you don't necessarily know when you are or are not living in a kingdom moment. Does that make sense? Like it's so delicate and it's so thin and it's so inclusive that anywhere you are, at any moment of any time, regardless of who you are with, the kingdom of God could be thick in that thin space. Am I making sense? Are you guys with me this morning? Jeff Christofferson. I'm not going to say I agree with him. I do, though. He also says this. In light of the fact that the kingdom is everywhere, in light of the fact that it can be revealed in an unlimited amount of ways, Jeff goes on to say in his book called Kingdom First that the church would be naive to think that the church itself is the end goal of the kingdom of God. If the kingdom of God in the church is the end goal, then that means by statistics alone, about 40% of people in Joliet, Illinois, are interested in the kingdom of God. Which isn't right, because God sent his son for all. So if the kingdom of God is only the church, then either the church is messing up, or it's not just the church. So, these thin spaces I encountered myself in the state of California. Uh, my parents spoiled my wife and I and took us to California for a week, and I'd like to share some pictures with you all. Uh, Ron's going to help me out and show them here on the screen, uh, but let's bring up the first one, Ron. Um, this is a picture of me sitting about two feet away from the Pacific Ocean. Uh, it's very cold, and, um, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm off the coast of California, and I realize that geographically, about 5,000 or so miles beyond where I'm sitting are two nations that, depending on who you talk to here, we don't necessarily appreciate. depends on who you talk to. Russia and China. The only thing that separates me and Russia and China is water. The only thing is water. And so an epiphany of sorts is when I realized that Jesus can walk on water. And he uses water as a bridge between himself and people who are afraid. Amen? So we use the symbolism of walking on water and being faithful and trusting enough to walk on rocky waves. But we also understand that surely water can be a bridge between two nations. Amen. I love it. I absolutely love it. That water can be a bridge between Russia and China and us. It's a beautiful kingdom moment. Let's go to the next one, Ron. Also, there's me going down into the Pacific Ocean. I don't know what I was thinking in this moment, but I was walking down these rocks, and and it is such a wild thought. If you can ever be on the West Coast, I mean like the Coast Coast, it's such an outrageous Sensation because you feel like you're on the edge of the world. And maybe Columbus was right that it was flat, or people before him thought it was flat, right? And he said, no, it's round, and gravity's a thing, and whatever. So I'm on the edge of the world. And I'm looking at the rocks, and it's just sand, and, and there's not really an opportunity for life to, you can see there's just sand and rock. There's not really plants. But I happened upon an ant colony, an ant colony, on the edge of the planet, and, and I realize this moment is, is that the most fragile creature potentially on the face of this planet can exist in the most harsh conditions. And so then I think back to the scripture when, when, when Christ says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or worry, but God just takes care of them. And here in the most harsh conditions, we have ants flourishing. In places where humans never could. It's quite a thought. That creation all of a sudden gets in the mix of this big story. Let's go to the next one, Ron. So this is me, and uh, and I actually don't know her name, uh, but we were on a bus, and um, there was a lot of traffic, and so I found myself playing a game on my phone, um, and she was, you know, if you've ever been on a city bus, she's kind of doing one of these, and, and she's kind of watching me play this game, and all of a sudden, she turns to me, and she says, that game is beautiful. It, it's called 2048. If you've ever played this game where you just move boxes, and they change colors and numbers, and you're moving more boxes, and and she noted the beauty, the 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 visual beauty of this game, and the colors moving, and the the, the art that it is, and so we get to talking, and and she gives me um, kind of advice on how to navigate the city. She has lived there for decades. She's been a resident of San Francisco. And um, she just gave me different tips on how to see the city. And she shared with me that she lives in a uh, a community that is um, that has a large uh, Asian population. And that she does Tai Chi with her neighbors, <laughs> which is super cool. And, and, and she was showing me that, you know, I'm this city boy from, from Illinois, and she's this super at-peace lady, um, and and I'm essentially an immigrant in her country, and we're getting along and coexisting, different genders, different generations, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, getting together for about a half hour, all because of an iPhone game <laughs> that, uh, that what, just millennials play, right? Um, so that was a really cool moment. Ron, let's go to the next one. This is my mom talking with this is my mom across the bus and she's having a conversation with people who live uh, the guy is from Peru go Peru right small world and and uh, he lives in Los Angeles visiting his girlfriend who lives in San Francisco he actually chooses to fly to San Francisco rather than drive because it takes way many more hours and my mom's kind of having the same interaction so that's just kind of the same thing Ron let's go to the next picture Um, This is us in Chinatown. This picture was taken outside of the front door of the factory that the fortune cookie was invented in. That's pretty cool. Um, And so we were in this um, Chinese community. We were in Chinatown in the middle. San Francisco, Chicago, and New York, and other metropolitan cities have what we call Chinatowns. But in San Francisco was the first Chinatown of what we know it to be today. So people came across, because remember China going this way, you run into California, you go into the Bay Area, and you're in San Francisco, and so it makes sense. So we were, we were in the first Chinatown that was kind of ever a thing, um, and we were walking around coexisting with these wildly different cultures, different foods, um, different music, different smells. I mean, it's just a beautiful moment where you can be engulfed in this culture for just a, just a minute, and it was cool that it was happening for us. Um, The world is much smaller than we might think, um, particularly here in the States. Let's go to the next one, Ron. Um, This is a cathedral in Chinatown, the first cathedral that was ever built in the state of California. It's pretty cool. And on it, you can't see it in this picture, but if you were to zoom in, you would read this phrase that has been embossed on the steeple of the cathedral since it was built. It says this. It's not scripture, but it says this. Observe the time and fly from evil. Now, the context behind that phrase is brilliant. It was built two years after the gold rush. And so the people who were coming to San Francisco were 100% migrating to California for the purposes of chasing gold and greed and selfishness. And so here is this prophet in the wilderness of a Catholic church, which we are united via the Apostles' Creed. They are our brothers and sisters. Being outward prophets in a wilderness area where people are surrounding this church with greed. Prostitution is on the rise because money's on the rise. And this church has been there since 1851 proclaiming this message. Recognize the, cu- the time, recognize the culture, and turn from evil. It's a beautiful, beautiful moment. Let's go to the next one. I have two more. Sorry, I'm, if this is boring for you, I apologize. Um, this is us at Boudin, Bodine Bakery um, and Pier 39 in San Francisco. We're eating sourdough bread bowls, um, delicious stuff. This is the cool part about this bread company. It was founded uh, during the gold rush in 1849. It was founded during the gold rush. And if you know anything about bread and yeast and flour, you know that it's like alive, right? Like bread dough is alive. And like yeast is an organism that like grows and spreads. And there's actually scripture. Jesus uses yeast as an example, And if you were to be a baker, you would actually have a batch of mother dough, is what they call it, that you would actually pull from and then re-contribute yeast and flour to. And in the foggy, cool, damp climate of San Francisco, they have been able to maintain the same mother dough since the inception of the company, over 160 years ago. And so if you think back to the scripture that Jesus uses about how the kingdom of God is like yeast that is here for just a little bit, but then eventually works its way through the whole batch of dough. And you can't escape that symbolism. Literally, you cannot escape it if you're at this bakery. The same yeast and flour has been used for over 160 years, and millions of people have eaten their bread. That's what the kingdom is like. It's amazing. One more picture for you Full House fans. So we are here at Alamo Square Park and the Painted Ladies, which is what they call the houses, are featured in the Full House theme, the the opening intro. And the park is awesome because it's this one large hill and people picnic on this hill, but everyone's facing the houses. So imagine living here, or in the homes, and you walk out your front door and there's about 200 people just kind of staring at your house. And, and taking selfies with your, with your house. Like, why my house? But, you know, full house, John Stamos, and all that. So this is the beautiful part about this particular hill, is that every tribe, nation, and tongue was represented on this hill, coexisting as one. Different races, obviously different genders, different social classes, different sexualities, coexisting, getting along under the banner of peace and love. This is the kingdom of God. And I got to be honest, I have seen very few examples of the kingdom of God outside of the church. But here it is in Alamo Square, San Francisco. People bonding under the name of tourism, (laughs) full house, and peace. Why did I just share eight vacation pictures with you? is because you can find the kingdom of God anywhere you want to. And you cannot find it anywhere you want to. These thin spaces that Jesus talks about. The kingdom of God is out there, we just need to look for it. Kingdom, this first word. Second word is the word witness. We find the word witness in verse 8, where Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth. Witness. Now, the original language that was used, the word is martus, which we get the word martyr from. So to be a witness, by definition, would be to be evidence to the point of sacrifice, and if you use the word martyr, to the point of death. So that is a type of witness. The irony is that I feel that our justice system does a disservice to the word witness, which is ironic, right? It, our justice system does an injustice to the word witness. If I say the word witness you think of a courtroom and you think of someone sitting on a stand and giving verbal witness to whatever the court case is about. For you Seinfeld fans out of there out there the last episode of Seinfeld ever is a court case and there are these witnesses after witnesses after witnesses giving Verbal evidence to Jerry Seinfeld and company. And so when we think of the word witness, we think of words, right? Generally. But this is what I would say to you. If we could define the word witness for the purposes of the kingdom of God, I would say it is embodied evidence of an event or condition. Embodied evidence of an event, of an event or condition. What do I mean by this? Well, I mean the life of Christ. He gave witness to the kingdom of God in what? Word and deed. In the deeds of his life and the words of his mouth. Both and. He gives witness to the kingdom of God in word and deed. Giving evidence to a condition or reality. The reality being the kingdom of God being in our midst. The evidence being his words. And his life. If you were with me in San Francisco, my burnt scalp would be evidence that the sun burns and that I did not put on sunscreen. If you're with me at a potluck, my stomach gives evidence that food is good. Amen? To witness is to embody evidence. Now we, we reinsert a couple of things that we've already been talking about. Last week we talked about third way thinking, how to how to think in, in a in a maybe a different way that the world doesn't provide us. We also think about the kingdom of God and God getting what he wants and Jesus getting what he wants. This is the kingdom. So this third way thinking and and Jesus getting what he wants and these thin spaces that the churches or the kingdom is in our midst. And so this is the question we need to ask is, what am I being a witness to? The question is not, am I being a witness? Because we're all talking and we're all moving. We're all living. We're all doing something. So the question becomes, what am I being a witness to? What does my Facebook status give me a witness to? What am I witnessing to on Facebook? What am I witnessing to my coworkers about? When I talk... What am I giving witness to? When I do things with my hands, what am I giving witness to? That's the question we ask. Kingdom, witness, and looking is our third word. Looking is our third word. Verse 11, we find the word looking where these men dressed in white are uh, kind of happening upon the disciples and they say, Why are you looking up into the sky? So I, I kind of want to uh, paint a picture for you all. Um, every time that the kingdom of God is inquired about in Jesus' life, people are either inquiring about when or why, or uh, when or where. So when is it coming and where is it coming? Where, where is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? And every single time, Jesus says, None of your business and not just in Jerusalem, right? So the entire time, the Pharisees and the apostles and everyone who talks to Jesus is like, when are you going to restore Israel? When are you going to restore Jerusalem? And, and Jesus always says, well, it's not just going to be Jerusalem. It's going to go way beyond Jerusalem. That's why Jesus uses the language, to the ends of the earth or to the nations. And then when he says the when, he says, none of your business. It's, going to, it's just going to happen when it happens So stop worrying about it. And so in this moment, all of the apostles are doing this. Now, in this moment, Jesus is ascending into heaven. And in this time in human history, Jesus has completed the final phase of filling himself in all places and spaces, meaning this. He's here on earth. He's he's filling himself on an earthly level. When we say in the Apostles' Creed that he descends to the dead, that's actually very important. He descends to the dead. He fills himself in death, overcomes it because he overcomes it by rising from it. And then he ascends into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and will one day come back. And so he has filled himself from from here to here. And the ascension is very important. But the disciples are looking up into the sky, and this is why they're looking up into the sky, is because they're still concerned about when he's going to come back. He was just standing here, but they're still fixated upon the fact that he's gone now. Looking up into the past of what once was. Looking up, and who knows what they were thinking, but they were looking up long enough and high enough for them not to see two human beings appear before And these two guys dressed in white say, what are you, what are you looking at the sky for? What are you looking for? What are you waiting for? And so these two men dressed in white, we, we don't really have a lot of knowledge of who they are, but what we can gather is that these two men in white were there to give them a smack on the behind and say, it's time to go. It's time to move. Don't look up into the past of what is maybe coming soon or not. It's totally not because it's been 2,000 years. And don't, don't worry about the fact that he's gone. You should be concerned about what he said. And now it's time to go. So when we talk about the word looking, I ask the question to us, what are we looking at and what are we looking for? I would argue with you this, that, that this posture, whether it is a physical one, let's talk about the physical posture first. If we are physically living our lives like this, then first of all, it's uncomfortable. Second of all, it's really hard to text and drive, which none of us do because we live in the state of Illinois. It's really hard to text and drive when I'm looking up. So obviously I would not spend my whole life physically looking up. But do we not do that mentally, emotionally, spiritually? Looking for something, longing for something that we have zero evidence of it ever coming back in the near future. And people have been doing this for centuries waiting for Christ to return, and waiting for the kingdom, as they understand it, to be restored. If you think that the kingdom only exists up there, then I would be looking up there too. I would be longing for what went up to come back down. Physically, if you're looking up, you miss what's going on around you. if you are looking up as an emotional posture, you are also going to emotionally miss what is going on around you. If you are fixated on whatever's going on up there, you're going to miss the poor and the orphan and the widow that live feet away from you, that sit in pews inches away from you. If you're always longing for what's going on up there to come back, you are going to miss the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Which, if you have any stock in the Lord's Prayer, then surely it must be true. You, you can't just pray it but then wish it doesn't happen. Right? Like, like our, our prayer says one thing, but really our lives kind of hope for another thing. But if God answers your prayers, then you got to think about what you're praying for. That the kingdom in heaven, would be done the same on earth. And i got to tell you, it is happening. It is happening. So this is what I want to leave you with. As we reinsert and weave together all of these things, third way thinking that the, that the kingdom is in our midst, and it goes beyond the church, and to be a witness is to be a witness in both word and deed, then, then we kind of ask the question, well, when is an appropriate time to be a kingdom participant? And where is an appropriate place? And if you take anything away from this morning, I want you to take away these words, here and now. If you see the word kingdom in scripture, if you are reading a parable about what the kingdom of heaven is like, if you are kind of driving along and not texting and and working and, and kind of going through the rhythms of life and saying, man, when is an opportunity for me to be a witness? It's here and now. It's anywhere you are with whoever you're with. Isn't that cool? Here and now. On the bottom of the card that you received when you walked in, there are what we call next steps. And, and I want to be, be transparent with you all, and I, 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 want, I want this moment to be a trust-building moment. Um, th- there, there are two next steps that we've provided for you this morning. They are the following Today, I have seen the kingdom of God in a fresh new way, and today, I will commit to being a witness here and now. And this is, this is a transparent moment that I want to have with you all. I understand that if you were to decide and declare these for the first time, that there might be some guilt or shame attached with that, because it's kind of like, well, I haven't been doing this lately So now I feel guilty for even saying it, that I'm going to start now. You with me? Like, I understand that there might be some guilt and shame attached to this. But this is the beauty of what we're about to do in taking communion. Is that in the moment we take communion, it is a moment of witness. It is a moment of restoration, repentance, commitment, grace, forgiveness, salvation, and sending. This is why we take offering after communion is so you can actually take time to sit and contemplate that next step. So I would ask that you would do so in these final moments that we're together this morning. If you are serving communion this morning, I would ask that you would come forward. As we prepare our hearts and minds to approach a table that absolutely anyone can approach and eat from. Where people can come to, to eat and in this moment represent Christ dwelling and abiding in us, sending us back out to his mission. So as you contemplate a potential next step, as you prepare to receive communion, um, would you still your hearts with me and allow me to pray for us this morning? Lord, we are grateful and thankful to be in your presence. Lord, I ask that in these moments of confession, in these moments of repentance, the receiving of your salvation and forgiveness, that you would be merciful to us, that you would grant us your peace and your abiding presence. In Jesus' name.